This morning, fairly massive protests continued in Iran, and uh, we're joined now by uh, an Iranian-American journalist and media analyst to, uh, to make sense of all of this. Uh, Nagar Mordazavi, welcome to The Damage Report. Thanks for having me. Uh, very glad to have you here. So give us a little bit of context to uh, these recent protests. What is, what is um, uh, like, uh, stimulating uh, this new action? So the very last round of protests in the past few days, as you've probably heard the news, is because an Iranian missile, um, as Iranian officials say, accidentally or due to human error, shot down a civilian airplane, a Ukrainian flight that killed 176 civilians, most of them Iranians, some children on board, students, graduate students who were moving to Canada or studying in Canada. Most people uh, were basically spending their New Year holiday in Iran for weddings, for uh, family gatherings, and they were returning back to Canada via Kiev, Ukraine, and this plane was shut down. The government denied that it was hit by a missile for three days. Uh, there were so many rumors and conspiracies in Iranian media and then finally, after three days, officials accepted, acknowledged that it was hit down by hit by a missile, shot down by a missile, um, and apologized and promised to do an investigation. So the actual catastrophe of hitting a civilian plane, basically letting a civilian flight be in the air at the night of an operation, the retaliation operation, Iran against the U.S., and then also the lying and the denials for three days after that has caused this very raw anger. Uh, many students uh, of Iranian universities that have lost their friends uh, on the flight basically took charge, took the lead of these protests, and we've seen them happening in multiple cities in Iran for third day in a row. Uh, let me ask you a question about the, the, the time that it took for them to acknowledge what had actually happened. So apparently the Ukrainian government had photos showing fairly clear shrapnel damage that would be hard to deny as being some sort of mechanical flaw. Um, in, in your view, the, the time that they took, are they, are they being responsible in checking all options? Or was it fairly clear very early on from what they knew what had actually happened? And it simply became an untenable position to not admit what the truth was. I'm not 100 percent sure because of the lack of transparency from the government side, which is also this other problem. There's what seems clear is that there was disagreement within the highest political echelons in Iran. Some wanted to continue with the denials, with the lie, basically, and some were adamant in getting it out. And uh, apparently that's one reason that contributed to this. And to be frank, three days is not a very long time to just, you know, keep quiet or wait for the. Uh, result of an investigation, if they had said nothing, if they hadn't denied it, or if they didn't come out with very strong statements that were basically lies, um, I don't think this this much anger would be targeted at the government um, if they just said, hey, listen, we're waiting for an investigation, for example, we're going to let you know in two, three days. But the problem is that they kept lying. They pressured the media. State media was putting out these denials. And some government officials are now coming out and saying, we didn't even know. This is the information that was given to us. Not 100% of the government force knows what exactly happened. But there were definitely people who, who were in the know, and uh, they didn't share it with whoever was denying it. So that's, that's definitely a problem. As far as the Ukrainians, again, I'm not 100% sure. The whole tra uh, situation is not very transparent. I know Iranians were inviting the Ukrainians for the investigation. Uh, was announced early on because it was a Ukrainian flight. And 
it was known that this eventually will get out because this is an international play, because other countries are involved. Many of these people were Canadian citizens or residents, so the Canadian government was also very much involved in this. So sooner or later, uh, basically, it would have come out. But the fact that they denied it and they uh, put out lies for three days is also something that's making people very angry and uh, is this loss of trust, basically, in the government. And, uh, you know, I, I know that not, not everyone is the same, but to, to the extent that we can know, do the protesters seem to accept that it was actually an accident, human error, however uh, it's going to be framed? What do they actually want to happen in the future? Well, the protesters are asking for resignation, which I think is a natural uh, response. I'm not sure if we're going to see resignations, at least in, in officials that are high up. But um, hopefully we will, because this is a catastrophe that shouldn't have happened. Um, the other perspective is that, yes, this might have been a human error. And what's very interesting is a similar incident, actually, that happened in 1988 when a U.S. Navy warship shot down, again, an Iranian civilian flight. 290 people on board died, 66 children included over the Persian Gulf, basically, again, due to human errors, the, the Americans later said, taking it for a, uh, for a fighter jet, basically, approaching the warship. So would this type of human error happen in an atmosphere of war? Yes, possible. It's happened in the past. But why did the Iranians, who made the decision of keeping an airport in a capital of a country that has just launched this operation, why keep that open? Why did a dozen civilian flights, commercial planes, basically flying over Tehran, as the military has explained, they were in highest alert. They say they were seeing hostile behavior in the airspace around them. Their radars were picking up things that they imagined would be cruise missiles approaching them. So when you're in that state, the natural uh, response that people are expecting is to close down uh, commercial flights, which they failed to do. You know, that's not a human error. That's yeah. just the mismanagement and, and a bad decision that then leaves the door open to such um, such incidents that could be human error, could not. You know, the lack of transparency is also something that um, makes people wonder about these conspiracies. I, I also, I, I, while we have you on, I wanted to know, um, whenever I see news, um, like Western news of things like protests in, in Iran right now, um, when it's filtered through the American media lens, I never know how much I can trust the way they're portraying the size or scale or intent of the protests, um, especially with the, the, the tense situation between the U.S. and Iran right now, the predisposition of the U.S. media towards being supportive of, of foreign conflicts. What are what are some things that people in America or in the West right now should know about these sorts of movements in Iran? What are some misconceptions that they, that they might have come to accept? Well, this is a great point. I also don't want to lump all American media together. I have friends who work for, for example, the New York Times or the Washington Post, and they're doing excellent reporting on what's happening in Iran. Some of them even far away from the U.S. here. They don't have access on the ground, but they're doing excellent reporting. But, for example, you go on Fox News, you turn on Fox News, and you see a completely separate image. Or even uh, the U.S. government, you see State Department officials now chiming in, for example, on Twitter, and some people are taking that as news or analysis of what's happening on the ground. And to just to give you a clear example, last week, after the assassination of Awesam Soleimani, when Iranians took to the street in millions to basically... Uh, commemorate a general or oppose uh, this U.S. act, 
that didn't seem like Iranian population and the State Department, the White House basically tried everything they can to deny the fact that these were Iranians, uh, try to portray it as something that's orchestrated or engineered by the government or by the regime, which is not true. And then this week, when you see these protesters, all of a sudden, President Trump jumps on um, this political football, calls them these brave Iranian protesters. They're very brave and it's good to support them. But just the message that's coming sounds so much political as if it's only um, um, they're only cheered on, basically, when they're uh, in line with what President Trump's policy in Iran is, the hawkish policy in Iran. So if there's anti-regime chants on the street, he's going to cheer them. But if there's millions of Iranians who oppose his policy as hawkish uh, maximum pressure, then it's going to be either ignored or tried in any way to deny. And that's, I think, very prob problematic here from the administration, which also trickles down to some media, of course, not all. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of the media will not have a particular amount of expertise in the region, and uh, it's very of easy course. to think. It's very easy to think that a population thinks one thing, but like any country, there are very large groups of people that disagree on very fundamental things. And so, that's exactly, we had uh, just to make this quick point. We had I live here in downtown Washington. There was the crowd for the inauguration of President Trump here in downtown Washington. The next day. More population came out for the Women's March in the same exact street. All of them are Americans. They have very different polarizing views. But to just deny one one side of the population or the other one is, um, you know, not very factual. Yeah. Well, uh, for that reason, we appreciate you joining us and uh, helping break down the situation. Uh, Nagar Mordazavi, running American journalist and media analyst. Thank you once again for joining us. For having me. Just some questions that keep coming up. Okay. Um, why do I have to keep wearing the mask after I get the vaccine? I thought it was going to protect me from the vaccine. Uh, what's the answer? Well, the answer is unless you get the overwhelming majority of the country vaccinated and protected and get that umbrella of what we call herd immunity, there's still a lot of virus out there. There's still a lot of virus out there. So just because you're protected, so-called protected by the vaccine, you need to remember that you could be prevented from getting clinical disease and still have the virus that is in your nasopharynx because you could get infected. We're not sure at this point that the vaccine protects you against getting infected. We're not sure at this point that the vaccine protects you against getting infected. We know for sure it's very, very good, 94, 95 percent in protecting you against clinically recognizable disease. <laughs> clinically recognizable disease, but not COVID? And almost 100 percent in protecting you for severe disease. <laughs> and almost 100 percent from severe disease? Well, then what does he call COVID? If that's not serious. But until you have virus that is so low in society, we as a nation need to continue to wear the mask, to keep the physical distance, to avoid crowds. We're not through with this just because we're starting a vaccine program. We're not through with this just because we're starting a vac. Just because we're starting a vaccine program. Even though you as an individual might have gotten vaccinated, it is not over by any means. We still have a long way to go and we've got to get as many people as possible vaccinated of all groups. Are you scared to death, Negro? 
Thank mm-hmm. you.